color I saw first. Bright red. Ernie saw it too. We both stopped. Mr. Kill took two steps forward and then crouched, both to get himself a better view and to give us time to absorb the scene. The rays of illumination coalesced around her like a spotlight introducing a star. It was then I saw the stiff flesh and the raven black hair. She was beautiful, like an ice princess. Somehow her body had been washed up against the shore, and any further drift had been stopped by a foot-high shelf of crystalline white snow. She was wearing a chimachuggery, a traditional Korean dress made of flowing red silk. The skirt had been tied breast-high, as was the custom, and embroidered with white cranes flapping broad wings to the sky. The short blouse was made of a sturdier material and was canary yellow, and tied in the front with a long blue ribbon. Her eyes were open, staring into the opaque gray sky, and the smooth flesh of her face seemed to have been bleached pure white by death. A cold breeze blew down from the north. I shuddered. So did Ernie. So did every cop milling about the crime scene, except for Mr. Kill. He was known to be impervious to petty feelings. Heartless, some called him. But I knew that when he was on a crime scene he didn't have time for emotions, only thought— and the processes of his mind, coupled with his vast investigative experience, were not good news for the perpetrators of any crime scenes he was assigned to. I stared at the woman again. Who could have done such a thing? Who could have so cruelly abandoned her in this frigid, unrelenting stream? The Sunyu River does not run deep, no more than three or four feet now, and even less in the dry summer months, but due to the cold snap that had drifted down from Manchuria in recent weeks, It was frozen almost solid except for the five or six inches of frigid water that rushed by beneath the ice. The river was about twenty feet wide, and at its center, for a width of about two yards, it ran quickly and freely. Ernie looked upstream. How far did she drift? he asked. Mr. Kill nodded at the question, but didn't answer. Upriver, a basketball-sized chunk of ice broke free and swirled toward the body. It spun madly and crashed into the red skirt, lifting it lewdly up pale legs. No underwear, Ernie said, which was unusual. Part of the traditional female outfit during the winter was a wool tunic and long underpants and warm socks under cotton-stuffed slippers, all designed to combat the long Korean winter. None of these appurtenances were worn by the Lady of the Ice. The silk string that was used to secure the wrapped skirt was loose, trailing limply in the slow current. As if we were thinking the same thing, both Ernie and I turned and gazed upriver. The meandering stream ran through ice paddies and past small animal pens and near farmhouses, and although we couldn't see it from here, we both knew that just over the rise was an installation we were both familiar with, Camp Pelham, home of the second of the 17th Field Artillery, which maybe explained why Mr. Kill had called for us. Even though he was a chief homicide investigator of the Korean National Police, under the Status of Forces Agreement signed between the U.S. and the Republic of Korea, he had no jurisdiction on American military compounds. A large van pulled up and a team of forensic technicians climbed out. They all wore blue smocks and a few of them toted metal briefcases. Stenciled on their backs in block Hangul script was the word Kyungchal, police, Mr. Kill left us and gave them a quick briefing. Soon they were plotting their grids and slipping on knee-high rubber wading boots. 
Another group of cops had apparently been canvassing the neighborhood and reported back to Mr. Kill. He listened to them and nodded and then barked further orders, pointing at the homes off in the distance. The men saluted and left. He walked back to us. Wearily, he nodded toward the corpse. Your thoughts? he said. I let Ernie go first. Nobody but a madwoman would leave her house dressed like that, not in this weather. Mr. Kill nodded. And the knot holding her skirt came loose, Ernie continued, probably tied in a hurry. He paused. Do we know the cause of death? No, Mr. Kill replied. But did you see her neck? We all turned and studied the body. Mr. Kill switched on his flashlight. The technicians were closing in on her now, one of them examining the silk skirt. Bruises. She was strangled, Ernie said. Yes, Mr. Kill replied. The river is much too shallow for...